0: Tammy Hill is an LDS relationship and sexuality educator and coach, as well as a licensed marriage and family therapist in Utah. She frequently contributes on the subjects of sexuality, relationships, and spirituality to blogs, magazines, religious meetings, and podcasts, as well as host her own podcast, Live Your Why. Her husband, lover, and best friend, Jeff Hill, are the parents of a blended family with 12 children as well as last semester just finished teaching their final course on marriage relationships and sexuality at BYU. Tammy is also the author of two books, a children's book called God Made Girls and Boys, beautifully addressing families, gender, accountability, as well as agency, and just recently released her long-awaited book, Replenish, Creating Sexual Fulfillment in Marriage. It's a comprehensive guide to help LDS couples sexually unite in both conversation and practice. It is such an honor to
1: welcome Tammy to the podcast today. Welcome, Tammy. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I'm honored to be here. I know what you're doing is so valuable. I wish when I had remarried, I would have had this as a resource for me. So I'm glad that you're doing this.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I know me too. It's a labor of love. When I was divorced and single and getting remarried, I didn't know anyone that was divorced. There weren't resources out there. People weren't talking about it. And it's a different world today. And i am it's such a blessing to be able to help other people through this process. Thank you for all that you do. I'm thrilled to listen and learn with you today. Tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, your life and where you're from, where you live and your family and your
1: work. Okay, so my name is Tammy Hill, and I grew up in Kaysville, Utah, and then did my work for school at Utah State University. And my husband, Mark Mulford, and I raised our children and had our children, didn't raise them, unfortunately, but had our children in St. George, Santa Clara area. And um, we went through 13 years of infertility that was really challenging. And then suddenly, well, I have had my first child, which was a miracle. Then we went through thirteen years of infertility and adopted a son in the middle of that. And then somehow, miraculously, I had two babies really quick together in my late thirties. And um, doctors still don't know how that happened, but I know there was a bigger plan in store. And Uh, My husband, Mark, uh, passed away unexpectedly of a heart attack when our baby was four months old and um, my oldest son was 15. So then I was the single mom with four kids and I um, was a widow for five years. And then I remarried a widower and he had eight children. And so we blended this big family. We stewed, I like to call it stewed more family. I have uh, gone back, I went back to graduate school for a master's degree in marriage and family therapy, and then worked farther with ASEC to be a certified sex educator. And so I do my private practice, mostly a lot of couples work. Um, I've taught for 10 years at Brigham Young University, all about marriage and sexuality.
0: Oh, that's so wonderful. And as we were talking about just before we were starting recording, It's such an important topic to talk openly about in the world today, especially in an LDS environment where we're kind of quiet about sexuality and talking about things that go on in our sex lives. I'm so grateful that you are not quiet about it and that you're bold about sharing and discussing these things that are such an important and intimate part of our lives, but yet we don't talk about it. So (laughs) I'm really curious how that became to be your focus, you know, sexual intimacy as a specialty. What made you decide to pursue
1: that? I think I came this way, honestly, Jennifer. My <laughs> my mom um tells me that I have she has 8 children, so I have seven other siblings and they were really great um for that time of that era. My mom would sit down to it with us um individually right before we turned 8 and she'd read a little book called doctors talked to five to eight year olds or something. It was like that. And it was a real basic understanding of sex reproduction. I can remember being so interested in that. And she said that she found me looking at that book more than any of the other children. And <laughs> I've always had a curiosity around sex and I've never felt guilty for that. I guess <clears throat> there's there incong- was an incongruence Because I'd been told that having children, I was taught that having children was one of the most important things that we do while we're on the earth and that that that's something that's so sacred and so special and so wonderful. And then when I remember as an eight-year-old talking with my mother and learning about this process of how a baby's created, and I remember asking her, well, how long does that take? Like, how long are you actually having sex? And she said, oh, five to ten minutes." And I can totally remember that. That doesn't line up to me because <laughs> if this is the most significant thing or one of them that we do on Earth, wouldn't it need to be more than five to ten minutes? That just didn't jive. And so I've learned a lot. It can be a lot longer than five to ten minutes. <laughs> <than> <laughs> it is for most <laughs> most yes. of it.
0: Yes, that's um, so interesting. I love it. Yeah, it's just been sort of your calling and something that you've been drawn to and speak to all of your life. I love it. That's awesome. And you're right on time in the world today and with (laughs) (laughs) everything that's happening in our world today and how sexuality is such a topic and in the world. And I'm so glad that you're helping it be a mainstream
1: topic in
0: an LDS environment. Thank you very, very
1: much. uh, I'm excited about what I do.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. You talked about losing your husband and being a single mom with your four children. I cannot imagine how difficult that was. How did you cope during that time?
1: Oh, I go back and i I just redid it a day at a time. And now we're at a time sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, I can remember the first the first year is a blur, honestly. Um, I remember significant spiritual experiences that helped me get through it. I learned and have a total witness to everyone I meet. There is life after death. I know my husband lives and I had such powerful experiences with him really early on that cemented that belief that I had mm-hmm. to assure knowledge. And I'm grateful for that. I um had wonderful family. They, all of my siblings and Mark was my late husband's siblings pitched in and to hire a gal to be in my home for 10 hours a week and I could divide that up however I wanted and have her come and so I could have some time alone and I was so grateful for that because a lot of times I'd just go to the cemetery and cry and cry and cry um often I would try to go to the temple I felt I felt my husband in the temple often and I wanted that how did we cope we just <laughs> my, my oldest son was 15 when um, Mark died and I'll never forget the night at the hospital. Um, we just had, we're in this little room and um, the social worker had come in to tell me that my husband had passed away. And I just looked at Jordan we were both crying. And I said, how are we going to do this? And this 15 year old boy reached over and touched my leg and he said, mom, we're going to do it a day at a time. And that's oh. what we did. Oh, the wisdom of your young son. Yeah, he's, he's a special kid and then he helped me do it a day at a time. Wow. You've really been through so
0: much in your life with losing your husband and then the infertility and then the remarriage and raising a blended family. You speak to so many things. All all these experiences. Oh, I got so lucky. I don't know. <laughs> I needed to learn a lot, I guess. Uh, Me too. Me too. (laughs) Uh, Well, you and I have both been single after being married. A topic that comes up a lot in private conversations, not so much public until now, is how do you recommend that people handle their sexuality with
1: integrity
0: while they're single?
1: I I love this question. I want you to know that I think it was two months ago. Uh, Well, the conference was two months ago, but I was invited about four months ago to prepare a presentation for the conference at BYU that was called Life After Loss and to speak to this subject. And so I called it being single and sexual simultaneously. And they recorded that. And so people have access to that. I'm also recording it on my own so people can do that, access that through my website. A lot of steps involved with that. So to answer concisely, I think most importantly is for us, single or not, is to decide how we are going to accept sexuality, our own sexuality. What are we going to do with it? It's a lot like my, I host a podcast called Live Your Wyatt. And it's lines up a lot with this is what really is most essentially Uh, important to you when you are dead and gone? How do you hope people remember you? What is it that's most important to you? And for me, sexuality is a big part of who I am. And I love that aspect of my life. For five years without having that was really hard. And um, there were a lot of times it was tough managing that with integrity. But I believe that we our sexuality doesn't control us. We can rise above the flesh and do more and be better. And so I think understanding that sexuality, a lot of people say it's a need. It actually is not a need. We can live without sex,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it definitely is a want, but we need to rise above that. And just like with food and other things that we really like and that taste good or things that we enjoy doing, they, they don't cause us to grow most of the time. <laughs> and yeah. so we have to rise above the the natural man, although I don't think the natural man is a bad thing. I think, you know, a lot of times we're taught that the natural man is an enemy to God and that having um, passions is not in alignment with righteousness. And I'm not saying that. I don't want people to hear that. I think having passion and sexual pleasure is an important part of life and living congruent with who you want to be. That That's just something we're here to balance and learn from.
0: Yeah. I it's really not- like what you said about many times we don't learn from indulging or satisfying our cravings or our wants. We learn and grow many times from abstaining, from withholding, like fasting and being chased and withholding mm-hmm. things until a certain time and place, like within the bonds of marriage. And so, yeah, I, I love that thought. So much that we can learn from that. I agree. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm curious what you were looking for when you decided to get remarried. Did you, did you think you would get remarried after your husband passed away? And if so, like, what were you looking
1: for? <laughs> That's a really, this is a complicated question. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think initially that I would choose to remarry. I was, was so in love with him and his very dearest friend, my late husband's dearest friend happened to be in our state presidency down in Santa Clara. And he was so good to check in on me regularly, this dear man. and. I can remember one time visiting with him and he he said well you can find a companion sometime and you don't need to live alone and I just looked at him and said I don't want a companion I want to be passionately in love again and it's not worth it to me if I don't have that I don't I don't want that So I had opportunities to date I started accepting opportunities to date after 2 years that he was had passed away and I compared everyone to him and no one measured up. The first time I went with Jeff Hill, I thought he was a nice man. He's 11 years older than I am. And so I can remember thinking, well, we could be really great friends. And so after our first date, he asked me if I wanted to have some fun this summer. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. We'll, he'll be my good friend because he's easy to talk to. So we went out the second time and I believe it was all spiritual. How How it happened, I do not know. Other than spiritually, I fell in love with him passionately. And we did not kiss, we held hands, but I that that sexual tension and energy that you feel like my whole body was just alive, like it hadn't been alive forever. And I was having so many sexual thoughts. And I so crazy. Right. But I remember him driving me home that night and feeling um, like the first time I, I was started to cry a little bit in the car. So I had to turn my head so he wouldn't see me crying. But it was honestly the first time. My heart felt complete since my husband had died. And oh. I was so excited. Then whenever I dated other people after that, I compared him to Jeff, which was interesting. That shift. So
0: yeah.
1: I wanted to be completely in love with him, with the, whoever I married. And Heavenly Father gave me that blessing because I absolutely adore this man. He, he inspires me and we have such a good time together. He's seen me in some of my most ugly places and still loves me. He will hold me tight while I cry for over a man that I miss. Oh, isn't that amazing? It is amazing.
0: And getting to know you guys, I'm not sure if I mentioned this already or not, but my husband and I took your class with you, the one that you and Jeff Uh did teach at BYU. It was Strengthening Marriage. Is that what it's called? It was just such a beautiful experience for us to be in your class and witness your relationship and the love and devotion that you guys have for each other so much respect, but also so much tenderness and and love, physical expressions of that and spiritual. and it was just really something you can't understand unless you see it like your interactions and patience with each other. and Jeff is so funny about talking about <laughs> we had a fight this week and <laughs> this is how we worked it out or just so real, you know, the the things that we all experience, but just learning and. Um, watching your beautiful example of of love and learning together, and sharing stories about your family and how you were, you know, we get frustrated with all the kids, and I relate to that. But I cannot imagine on the level that you had with all of those kids together. You guys have twelve children, is that right? We do. And were they
1: all young at that time? At the time that we remarried, there were nine children living at home. Yeah, and we had five teenagers. And four elementary school age children and one um, preschool. Wow. That was a lot for you to
0: take on. <laughs> and I didn't realize he was 11 years older. So, wow, that is crazy. So, you told us a little bit what, how did you guys meet? And how did you decide to marry Jeff
1: with that big responsibility? He's a package deal. (laughs) Yeah, He came with a lot. Um, I is totally, I have no doubt, Jennifer, that we're meant to be together. Um, how I met Jeff is miraculous. I would get my little, I had two, um, little children, babies when Mark died and I would get them to bed and Then my elder boys would be doing their own thing, and I would get in the jacuzzi at night and read an article from the Enzyme. And one night in April of 2006, I was reading an Enzyme article um, written by a man named Jeff Hill. It was him. I didn't know him. And um, it was about how he had felt inspired to memorize the proclamation on the family And how thoughts from that memorization would come to him just in the moment he needed it after, at the time of his wife's passing and how it brought such comfort to him. I resonated with it so profoundly because I didn't serve, I married Mark when I was 19, so I didn't serve a mission. I I felt like I loved the gospel. But about one year prior to Mark dying, which we didn't know he was going to die, Something happened spiritually for me, and I could not study the gospel enough. It was like I had this zest for it. I would stay up at night and read and memorize passages I wrote. I have like five thick notebooks of notes I would write. I just loved studying the gospel. I learned that I loved the gospel, and I memorized it, little passages that meant a lot to me. And after he passed away, it would be so amazing i'd be in the middle of something hard and one of those passages i'd memorized would come immediately to my mind and i know i was spiritually prepared for him dying sorry oh no and so when i read this article i thought oh my goodness god is so good to help us we don't know what's going to happen but he will prepare us if we if we keep him in our lives he'll prepare us and so um I just remember praying that night after reading that article and thanking the Father for preparing me and for preparing this man, preparing all of this for hard things. And in the middle of the night, I was awakened two times with a clear impression. I needed to write a comment to the Enzyme, thanking them for this article, which is so not my style of doing anything like that. So I ignored it. And then the next morning I got up and it was just this pressing feeling that by lunchtime, it was this urgent, it was urgent that I respond or to write that email. So I did, I wrote a four line um, comment to the enzyme, thanking them for the, that article. And then the urgency feeling left, it was gone. And the very next day I um, was checking my email and there was a, an email from the author, Jeff Hill, of that article. And I was actually dating someone else at that time. And so when I got it, I was irritated with the Enzyme. (laughs) I thought, that's personal. How can they share my email information? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they gave them your email. (laughs) I was irritated. But I found out later that the editor of the Enzyme um, had an overwhelming, urgent feeling that Jeff needed to have this note that came. So he did forward that to him. And then it happened to be, I think it was on the day or a day before um, Juanita passed away one year before that time. And for me, the, probably the strangest day I've ever lived so far in my life was the year anniversary of Mark's death, because I couldn't believe still he was gone. And then a the whole year had passed as well. It just was almost like science fiction. It was so weird. And that, that this, no, that I wrote to the enzyme came to him on that day and it brought him so much joy. He said he read it and his heart was light and he felt lifted and hopeful. And so then he contacted the enzyme and begged for my information. And um, that's how Jeff and I met. So I always tell people, be very careful when you read your enzyme. <laughs> you have no idea what might happen. <laughs>
0: I love that. Well, it definitely opened up this conduit for you guys to connect that, you know, probably wouldn't have happened. I don't know. Maybe the Lord would have found another way, but this was definitely the way.
1: No question in my mind. No question.
0: Wow. That is amazing.
1: And then the second date was just like overwhelming, overwhelming. I did everything I could to help him kiss me. (laughs) <laughs> you know I love that. To, all yeah. my body language all my yes. flirts, all, everything I mean I know how to flirt yes really was just trying for him to beg to kiss me and he would he drove home with both hands on the steering wheel like this he said he wanted to just pull over and make out with me so bad but he just kept his hands he said I had integrity and he kept his hands on the steering wheel and oh he good night and I just Nestled into his neck, and I tried to kind of pull back to kiss him, and he just pushed me away. And so, I that second date I know is also miraculous because I felt I and I have felt since that date there's just no one that feels like that to me. I think he's so sexy, I think he's so smart. There's just nothing about him that I don't really respect and love, and I didn't expect to feel this way again.
0: Oh, such a blessing that you could feel that way again. You know, you have those feelings for your first husband, but you were able to feel those feelings again. It's beautiful.
1: I know. I'm so grateful. God's so good to us.
0: He is. Oh, I love that. What is your approach to teaching couples to have a healthy sexual relationship in a second marriage?
1: Well, I do encourage remarital counseling. And um, I do that, not a lot, but I do some of that. As far as the sexual aspect of the relationship, first of all, you need to be able to have communication about not specific sexual experiences, like not the details of your sex lives, but to be able to talk about your attitudes and beliefs around sexuality prior to marriage. And I just um, published a book in January of this year called Replenish. And the first two sections of that book first is talking about your personal understanding of our sexual theology. And the second part is understanding the messaging that you got around sex growing up and in your lifetime. These parts of the book, I recommend everyone as an individual and every couple study together and be able to answer the questions that are asked there so you know where each other are. I think my number one rule is that not allow ghosts in the bedroom. I always will say that. No ghosts come in the bedroom. Those ghosts that are actual ghosts or that you've, you know, that have gone on, but also ghosts in your minds, Uh, like something maybe your mother said or your bishop said or your young women leader said sometime. You cannot have that come into your bedroom. You and your spouse decide what goes on in the bedroom only. Mm -hmm. And all other voices or ghosts need to Be invited to leave. Yes, I've never
0: heard that. I love that. So good, so healthy. I think it's important. I love that you cover identifying how you were taught. What is your individual philosophy on sexuality and articulating it? I feel like that is something that needs to be addressed in our culture, in our society, especially in an LDS environment where we don't discuss things like this enough. And even for yourself, articulating, this is how I was taught. This is what I think is acceptable and not acceptable. Sometimes you don't even know what you believe or how you feel until a line has been crossed in a situation. And then you become uncomfortable or triggered or or something happens. And then you realize, wait a minute, I've got some complex feelings about this. Why? You know, and you have to do your own digging to figure that out.
1: Well, I I love what you said. And I have to say that sex is intended to be relational. That bottom line is meant to be in marriage between one man and one woman, according to God's law. But you are an individual coming into this relational experience. And if you don't understand what you feel or believe or what you're going to accept and bring into your current situation or what you're going to leave behind, You just have to do that work before you can really have a sexual relationship that is truly connecting in every way, like it it needs to be in marriage.
0: Yeah, that's so beautiful. And something that I feel like I really relate to you on is that I feel like it's a blessing to not have negative feelings and negative hangups about yourself and about your own sexuality. And especially when you're going into a second marriage or a third marriage and there've been experiences for both people prior, it just brings up your own insecurities and it brings up a lot of, you know, it can, you can
1: yeah,
0: make you have a lot of doubts about yourself and about the other person. And I feel like it's so important to just love yourself and be accepting of yourself and your own sexuality and bring that to a relationship it can make such a difference and help you come together so much better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You you need to show up. You need to show up for you, you need to show up for your spouse and for your marriage.
0: Yeah. So true. A topic that comes up often for me in coaching and I'm sure for you in therapy is sexual and betrayal trauma. Mm-hmm. People have, you know, traumatic experiences related to their first marriage or even prior to marriage and they have situations related to sexual experiences how do you recommend i know this takes time but if you could give you know a brief summary of how you recommend people best heal from those experiences in order to have a healthy relationship
1: mm-hmm. and it's so important you can't really move into a healthy space in a relationship if you don't address the trauma and that's because trauma is lodged in the brain. When we have traumatic experiences, particularly sexually traumatic experiences, you have that in the brain and your body physiologically responds. So anytime you move forward and you're experiencing that similar thing, you're already back in this trauma response within your brain. The only method that has any empirical evidence that it really helps with trauma is EMDR therapy. And so I, uh, I highly recommend people get into EMDR therapy with a certified or trained therapist. And if you are with this therapist, I will say two or three times and you're not feeling that it's helping, or you're not feeling a real connection with your therapist. Don't stay with that therapist, get out and find someone that you can connect with because Therapy alliance is huge. Mm -hmm. The alliance you have with your therapist actually will predict your success more than any other thing, especially the modality of therapy being done. And so you need to connect with this therapist. And if you're not, try another one until you do, because EMDR, it is wonderful. I believe in it. I've done it. I've seen it transform people's lives. And, and you have a right to be healed from that trauma. It's not easy therapy. It is grueling therapy. Mm -hmm. So when you get ready to do it, make sure you are in a space in your life that you can really put the time and energy into doing it, but do it because it's going to, it will bless you so much.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Such good advice. And I agree. You have to have that connection or you're not going to make any progress. And I love your advice. If you don't
1: see that quickly, move on. Absolutely. So I ran into someone at a conference last week and she was doing EMDR therapy. And I said, well, how's it going? She says, I don't think it's really working. And I said, how long have you been working with your therapist? And she said, almost three years. And I said, oh gosh, will you please stop? You need to go to someone that you can connect with. And honestly, when you get the Alliance piece, Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to work. Right. And it, it won't take that long. It no. shouldn't take that long. Right. When Absolutely can, not. Yes. Right? yes. That's so beautiful. with any type of therapy that you're going to, as a therapist, if I'm not feeling that connection with someone after two sessions, I'll bring it up and say, Hey, I don't know how you're feeling about me, but I want to tell you some of the things that are coming up for me. And let's see if this is going to work in all fairness that's what you should Be doing, I think, letting people find someone that's really going to help them.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, such good advice. Well, I love how you talk
0: about living your why on your podcast. It's Mm -hmm. awesome. I encourage everyone to check it out. It's so great. And it's for everyone that wants to thrive alone or in a relationship and live with integrity. I'd love for you to share one tip, one or two, whatever you would like to share with my listeners
1: about how they can live their why? One tip, um, I guess if you're feeling miserable, if you're, I believe it's miserable, is it that feeling of discomfort or the awareness that you're really not feeling happy and that if you're feeling miserable basically and I and assess why am I feeling this way? What's going on? What am I choosing to do that's creating this feeling of dissatisfaction in my life. And what I found is that when you actually choose to live what you believe in, um, when you actually choose to align with your core values, that a lot of that misery disappears. And there's a feeling of peace and satisfaction and joy. And so I always say living your, your why or living aligned is like lining up with heaven a little bit. That's how I hope to be living this way and that, so this is my hope and this, you know, is how I'm choosing to live my other hand here. And so the distance here between what you want to be living and how you're actually living to me is the Gulf of misery. The more distance you have between the more miserable you're going to be. So check out how miserable you are, how dissatisfied you are with your situation or your life right now. And then do what you can to do a change so you can choose to live a line. And honestly, as that shrinks, the happier you'll be and the more at peace you'll be with yourself.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Makes so much sense.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Well, this has just been so wonderful, Tammy. I am so grateful that you joined me today and for everything you've shared. I would like to end with the question that I end all of my interviews with. And it is, what does finding joy in the journey mean to you?
1: I love this question. And I have to say, honestly, the single thing that brings me the very most joy personally is um, when I'm living my life and I acknowledge the hand of God in it. When I'm going along and I all of a sudden I have a little aha moment and I think, man, I was prepared for this very moment right now. I can't tell you what brings me more joy than to know and have evidence that God is aware of me and that I miss in the palm of his hand. I love that.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful. I love the way you articulated that. It's like acknowledging that the Lord has been there prior and orchestrated just the perfect moment for yes. you to see his love and feel it. And it does. It
1: brings so much joy. It really says a quick story. I don't know if you know who Brent Barlow is. He's a professor at BYU who started marriage preparation. And 35, um, 40 years ago, I was teaching at a high school at Snow Canyon High School in St. George. And I was a student body advisor. And I would invite Brent and his team to come down. And they did an assembly on marriage. You can imagine how things have changed in 40 years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But they would do this assembly that was so much fun on marriage and that we just had so much fun. And I remember walking him out to his car was carrying some of his stuff one time. And I just said, oh, my dream job would be your job, Brent. I would just love someday to teach marriage prep at BYU. And I cannot tell you, you know, the last 10 years, that's exactly what I've done. And every I don't think there's been one time I've walked on campus. That I haven't had to just pinch myself that this is this is I'm doing just what I said I wanted to do. And do you think that didn't happen without God? Yeah, absolutely not. And so I just have a witness that if if you're doing the best you can to stay connected to your covenants and to listen to the promptings and ideas that you have that come, you will see God's hand in your life so much, and it's so wonderful.
0: Oh, I love that. It's such a beautiful witness of asking and dreaming for what you want and asking God to make it happen. And then the fact that you were giving thanks every day that you walked on campus, you're like, I'm doing it. It's real. I'm living my dream. So beautiful. I can't believe how blessed I am. (laughs) Oh, it's awesome. And you're doing such wonderful work. It's so important. I'm so grateful for what you do. Please tell everyone how they can find you and follow you
1: and get in touch with you. People can find me. I have a website, TammyHill.com. I have an Instagram account and a Facebook account, TammyHillLMFT. I have two books. One is called God Made Girls and Boys, and the other is Replenish, Creating Sexual Fulfillment in Marriage. And they are both on Amazon, probably the easiest way to find them. I host the Live Your Why podcast. Um, We're going into season four. And so that's really fun. Oh, thank you so much for joining me today, Tammy. This was just wonderful.
0: Thank you. You're a beautiful
1: woman. and keep doing this important work.
0: Oh, thank you. If you're ready to dive deeper into this work and learn the tools and the skills you need to change the trajectory of your life forever, go to ldsdivorce.com and sign up for a free consultation with me. This is just the tip of the iceberg, my friends. There is so much more. I would love to work with you and be your life coach.